0: Continuing today in our, our study, the Book of Romans, it's a, a series called "The Gospel Revealed." And um, you know, last week, Pastor Cindy spoke on God's mercy based on Romans chapter three. And uh, it really was I, I guess the best way I can sum it up was say that uh, it really taught us that no matter how good you might be, or no matter how hard you might try, it just wouldn't be enough to meet the holiness and perfection of God, and so that salvation doesn't come by, by our good works, because we just can't work hard enough to get there, uh, that the fact that, that God, we can be redeemed and have, have a relationship, really comes only through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Yeah. Praise God for that. I'm glad he made a way. We talked about waymaker. Boy, I'm glad he made a way, okay? So now today, we're going to move on, and we're going to move to chapter 4, and, and chapter 4 has got a lot to do with Abraham, Okay? And we're going to look at that today. Um, the, the title of, of the message is Living by Faith. And i got to admit, when I first put the title on the piece of paper, because that's actually what it's about, I thought, you know what, there are a lot of people who could go, well, what in the world? I mean, yes, live by faith. Okay, but so what's new? We're, we're called to live by faith. And what really struck me about it for right now is I think right now, in this time and in this place and in the world today, it isn't so easy to live by faith because our faith is getting challenged in a lot of different ways. And so, while we can all say, I mean, we all know, and any of you that are watching online, if you you know like grew up going to Sunday school or something, and someone you know, and the teacher said, "All right, everybody." Should we live by faith? We all know, yes, we should live by faith. A lot of difference between saying it and doing it. And so today, what I want to encourage you to do is to be willing with me to walk through this idea of living by faith and maybe think about it on a real practical sense and how does it apply today so that when we talk about it, we actually see, well, what what does that mean for me today? How do I use it? So to begin with, we're going to read uh, the passage, it's Romans chapter 4. I want to start with God's Word. We're going to read uh, the 25 verses of this passage and we'll, we'll look at it, okay? So I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Words will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. And I know most of you here have your Bibles. I love that. When we read God's Word, you follow along with your Bibles. And so let's, let's read it together. So, Romans 4, starting with verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the the flesh discovered in this matter if in fact abraham was justified by works he had something to boast about but not before god what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness now to the one who works wages aren't credited as a gift but as an obligation however to the one who does not work but trusts god who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Well, it was not after, but before. He received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, if he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them... And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also closed. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written, not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Amen. Amen. So, did you know Abraham was the first guy to be called God's friend? That's a pretty good thing to be known as isn't it wouldn't you like for god to you know the god friended me That <laughs> was a show you know wouldn't wouldn't you like to get a friend request from god because god would say i want to be your friend okay you know james 2 21 and 23 says was not our father abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac, on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and God called him friend. He didn't earn God's friendship through good deeds. A lot of us want friends, and we try to work to earn them. We can't earn God's friendship. Abraham received God's friendship because of his faith. He enjoyed God's friendship simply because he took God at his word. He believed God's promises. Abraham's faith and his trust in God for what he said, that's what pleased God. God wants to be our friend. He's pleased when we believe him and we trust in what he says. Paul used this example of Abraham to show us all that, just like Abraham, that we too can be deemed righteous simply by believing and trusting by faith. Because like I said, I'm pretty sure most of us would be pleased uh, to be thought like Abraham. Uh, so if we would. I mean, if we would think that, you know, if God would want to call us friends, right? That if we could be more like Abraham, maybe we ought to ask ourselves then, and it was by faith that he was called God's friend. Then maybe we ought to think, well, then how uh, can we live more like Abraham? What can we do to be more like him? So today, that's what we're going to look at in Romans 4, is we're going to see what we can learn from Abraham that will help us to actually live by faith. What does that mean? We know it's the right idea, but what does that look like in our daily lives? How would we do it? Well, I want to propose to you the first thing that would help us to live by faith like Abraham is believe God's promises. Now, that sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? we would all kind of agree that we ought to believe God's promises. But I am going to stop for a second and let's just be real practical for a minute. Why is it hard to have faith? What makes it hard? Anybody, why is it hard to have faith, at least from time to time? We, don't see God we, we can't see what God's doing. We can't always see God working. Why else is it hard to have faith sometimes? Any other ideas? Yeah. We want our own way. In fact, we're not always sure. We, sometimes we're afraid to have faith because what if God doesn't do it the way we want? Because sometimes there's things we need and we've kind of already made up our mind how we'd like God to solve it. Which might not be God's solution. Okay, so can we just all agree that while we would all maybe, comp- you know, I would get 100% votes... On it's good to live by faith. Could we also agree that there are times it's really hard to live by faith? That it's really hard to really do it on a practical level. Okay? Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it's assurance about what we do not see. Here's the difficult thing about God's promises. God's promises don't come with a delivery date. Okay, little. So, so all of you that are watching online, you can participate too, because I can see you. <laughs> Just joking. Okay, if you're here, how many of you shop online? I, I, okay, I already know. You don't even have to answer. I know you all do. Okay, you all shop online. Okay, every time you order something, you expect to see a promised delivery date don't you? Yeah, and we start to get anxious or maybe even upset if that delivery date isn't met. Just like we promised. Do any of you remember back years ago? I remember when I was a kid and, and uh, like there would be in, in kid magazines or you know in these different things, Boy Scout magazine or whatever I was looking at, you could buy stuff, mail order. Anybody remember mail order? Yeah, okay. It was online except just really slow. Do you, do you remember that usually most of those things said, you know, you send this in, and within six to eight weeks, <laughs> you, you, you know, you would get this. I don't know, you know, this bubble gum or whatever it was, you know, you ordered. Okay, man. I mean, think about it. Today, on on Prime, you can get some stuff delivered in two hours. I mean, you can run out of popcorn and get more delivered before the movie's over. You're watching. I mean, it's, it's really crazy, but, but what the danger is, right, the challenge comes when we start to apply these same expectations to our faith and to God's promises, because we start wanting them to happen when we want them to happen. Look, we all want to know not only that something's going to happen, we all agree, right, I, we want to know that God is going to do it, okay? We also want to, so we not only want to know that it will happen, but we don't know when, and the problem gets even dicier when there's some kind of like change of location involved. I mean, like, what if he's saying move or change jobs or stop this? I mean, now we want even more details. And here's really, um, here's really the problem. is God doesn't work that way, but the dilemma for us is that too many times when God doesn't give us the details we want, we decide to not even start moving. We decide to not even take any action, because until we know more. Hebrews 11:8 talks about Abraham, and it says, "By faith, Abraham, when, go- when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. All right, can we just move that into today? Can you imagine a guy comes home from work and says, Honey, get in the car. Load the kids in. Okay, why? Well, we're moving. Well, where to? I don't know yet. Well, what are we going to do when we get there? Don't have a clue. But get the kids and get in the car. Off we go. That's, Abraham did not know where he was going. He did not know exactly, you know, he didn't know the menu of the restaurants that were there so they could order on the way. I mean, think about what Abraham did not know, and yet he loaded up, packed up, and actually started going. Who would do that today? That's living by faith. And he only went for one reason. Because God called him. God told him. That's living by faith. Abraham's actions demonstrate, I mean, a huge faith, a huge faith, simply believing God's promises. And let's just remember, too, and this, this is where it can start to affect us, is think about it. For Abraham, those details that we all want, those, that information we all want, for Abraham, none of that started to appear till he was on the journey. He actually had to actually had to start for the next steps to start to be revealed. And that's, can anybody agree that's usually the same in our own lives? That, that until we start, that why would God give you more information when you haven't acted on the information he's already given you? We want more. I think God's usually just saying, just do the part I told you. And then I'll tell you some more. Here's another difficult thing about God's promises. God's promises can really kind of often look foolish to people around you. Might make sense to you, maybe, but it might look foolish to other people. Maybe be difficult for you. Let's just think, well, what would be an example of that? Well, what about Abraham's wife, Sarah? When, when God said, you're going to have a child. Let's see, how old was she? What if Sarah had run next door to the neighbors and said, guess what? God just told me I'm going to be a mom. What do you think the neighbors would have thought? What do you think the neighbors would have said? Do you think they would have thrown her a shower? Or do you think they would have... (laughs) No, really, I mean, think about it. Romans 4, 18 and 19. Against all hope... Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. So for those of you who have some promises from God that you haven't seen yet, can you get beyond not knowing the date when? Can you get beyond not knowing how? Can you get beyond the fact that some of your promises, just like God's promise for Sarah, might sound foolish to some other people? But it's God's direction for you. It's living by faith. The key to doing this, to living a life of faith like Abraham, is this. It's to focus on what God can do not on what you can do. Sarah knew she couldn't have a child on her own. Abraham thought, "How can we're all old. We can't do this." But with God all things are possible. So, you don't focus on what you're capable of. You start moving and walking by faith with what God has told you to do and let him add the power to get things done. Let him make the impossible possible. Matthew 19:26 reminds us that nothing is impossible for God. We all know that sounds right, but it's hard to believe sometimes. And where it really gets hard is, and I know some of us have had these conversations before, that sometimes it's harder for me to believe that God will do this for me. It's almost easier to believe he'll do it for you. Okay? oh yeah it it's nothing you know i might look at one of you and say yeah nothing's impossible with god and i believe it for you fully it gets harder when it's my deal because see i don't know all the details of your deal right i just know i'm with you in agreeing in prayer because it's something consistent with god's word right and so you feel really comfortable confident and comfortable praying for it but but you don't know all of the details of my deal and so when it's my deal and all of a sudden i need i need faith but you don't know all my deal, right? And so now it gets harder for me to believe that God would do the same thing for me. I fully believe he would do for you. And I think for a lot of us, that's our dilemma. When, when, the, when the direction to do something that might, that don't have a delivery date and might look silly to people around us, when we've got to walk out in faith, that's why it's hard for us to do it. Because in our head, we believe that, that nothing is impossible for God, but it's a little harder to believe it in our hearts. So, nothing's out of control for God. Nothing's impossible for God. So, that first step, if we want to live by faith, is we just need to be like Abraham and believe in God's promises, which means we act on them. We're willing to take that step. Second thing, and this is, this is a hard one, but we've got to reject the enemy's deceptions. The enemy can't stand it when people who have faith People who have confidence in what they hope for and feel assured about the things that they don't yet see step out in faith and actually start to act on what God has promised. When you step out with that same faith of Abraham. So what does the enemy try to do? Tries to drive you off course. He's got some pretty effective weapons to do that. What does he do? Well, he'll use things like fear of man to make you afraid and drive you off course. He actually did that with Abraham. If you remember, in Genesis 12, 10 to 13, tells us that Abram, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe, and he was about to enter Egypt, and he says to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they're going to kill me, and they're going to let you live. So, say you're my sister so that I will be well treated for your sake and my life will be spared. Can we all agree a husband shouldn't tell a bunch of people that this woman that's his wife is his sister so that they think she's available? Why would a man of faith with the faith of Abraham do that? We would all say, didn't he know better? Yes, I think he probably did. But what happened? The enemy sent a spirit of fear against him to the point that it, it caused him to make a bad judgment. It caused him to take a bad decision. Now, this is here's the cool thing. God still uses us. God doesn't do- go, one bad idea, you're done. But aren't you glad to know that we can come back from it? But look what the enemy did to this man of faith, a man who had enough faith and he trusted in God's promises that he was willing to pack up and leave his home, go to a place he didn't even know where he was going to go, But along the way, the enemy said, I have got to throw this guy off course. I have got to destroy God's plan. And so what does he do? I'll send a spirit of fear. I'll get him afraid and get him to start doing crazy things he shouldn't do that will throw him off course. And I win. You know what the enemy also does? He'll use temptation. And we might all say, well, I'm above temptation. I I resist temptation all day long. Well, I think we better be really careful when we say that because a pretty good guy we all know something about sure fell into it with King David. King David. 2 Samuel 11, 1 and 2. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof, and he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. We all know the rest of that story. Do you think the enemy maybe woke David up? Said, get up and go walk around on the roof. I've got something I want you to see. Do you think that's just all happened by randomness? The enemy says, i got to throw this guy off course. This guy is a man after God's own heart. I can't take that. How can I try to throw him off course? So he used temptation. David fell to it for a little bit, didn't he? And he brought it. So look, we've got to be aware that the enemy uses temptation. I'll tell you some others, he'll use fear of rejection. There are a lot of things God will tell you to do, and we won't act on it because we're afraid people won't like us anymore. We're afraid we'll lose all our friends. We're afraid we'll end up alone. He'll use delay. No promise dates. He uses delay. He sure knows how to use discouragement. And he'll use any other tool that he's got at his disposal to do what he does best, which is kill, steal, and destroy everything that God has planned for you. Fortunately, God's relationship with Abraham and King David just like ours, has been established as a covenant relationship. And I'm no lawyer, but let's just think about this for a minute. It's a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. It's not a contract. Why does that matter? Well, I want to guarantee you the enemy wants you to think it's a contract. Why? Think about it. A contract only works as long as two parties honor all the deals of the contract. When one party violates the terms of the contract, it's called a breach. The contract falls apart. It's either terminated, it's violated, and the the, in, the injured party can seek remedy. That's a contract. In spiritual terms, that would mean that God offers you Heaven and eternal life with Him as long as you behave and live perfectly. Which means the minute you sin, contract's been broken, it's been violated, it's been breached, and the deal's off. And there's no remedy for you. You're just separated from God. Covenant between God and man is different. Think about it. God initiates the offer. He determines the elements of the covenant. He confirms it. God's covenant is unilateral. We're recipients. We're not contributors. We, didn't, we don't add to the deal. We're recipients of the deal that God offered. Praise God for that. Okay. We're, we're recipients, not contributors. Now, we're called to accept it as offered, to honor it as required, And then we're blessed to receive the results that God, by oath, assures us will not be withheld. I'm so glad our relationship is a covenant relationship, because what that means is when I fall down, when I make a mistake like Abraham made or like David made, I can come right back into that covenant relationship. It's not broken and separated and now off the table. Aren't you glad? How many of us would could say, I still have a chance of being a friend of God and, and living by faith if it meant that you had never broken one thing, one law, one requirement of God? I mean, we would all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Praise God, he, he established a covenant relationship between God and man. And, and King David understood that, and that's why in Romans 4, 7, and 8, Paul quoted him when he said, Blessed are those who... By the way, what he's, this time what he's quoting from King David is from Psalm, And this is a psalm that, that it comes, if you read the whole one, okay, comes out of him in his repentance over his stumbling with Bathsheba. So that's if you think of that, now this is what David says after that. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Praise God for that. No matter what you do, you can come back to God and seek Him. David understood the difference between contracts and covenants, and he was rejoicing at the blessing that as a result of God's covenant relationship with man, uh, he, could, he could live by faith. and He could be restored to God. So if we want to live by faith, we've got to reject the enemy's lies and deceptions Like Abraham. Finally. The third thing to live by faith. Is we got to have confidence. In God's power. We got to actually have confidence. In God's power. We can all say yes God's very powerful. But then we got to actually live it. We've got to act. We've got to have confidence in that. And you know I think that's really. A good point for right now. And today. Because. Because. I think most of us here and maybe everybody watching would agree a lot of things are messed up right now. We're living in a world that is uh, kind of tur- feels like it's turning upside down in some ways. Okay, uh, whether it's uh, the virus or the, all the other things it's, it's contributed to, whether it's effect on jobs, it's effect on our, our kind of freedom to roam around <laughs> the way we want to roam around. It's our friendships. It's our ability to get together. It's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us are huggers. You know, we just like to greet people with a hug. And boy, you know, I haven't hugged any, you know, haven't hardly hugged anybody in months, right? You know, we don't even want to shake hands anymore. I mean, we're in a different time. And here's the other thing. The enemy is trying to use this to even cause more division in our world than was already there because, we're not, we're now, we're not only, you know, worried about people getting sick, we're trying to, one side, you know, one group blames the other group, and everybody's blaming somebody else. Look, we we can do whatever we want. We can elect whoever we want. We can dislike whoever we want. We can, you know, we can do what we want. There is one solution that this world needs, and it's Jesus, okay? That's the solution, and, and it's, transformed hearts I just want to be really clear God is not a Democrat or a Republican God is God when God shows up we don't say oh God which are are, do you agree with my position no God just says I'm God you should live by faith and obey me it's remember it's covenant he set the terms we don't negotiate with God Okay. So what we need to do is actually believe in his power, though, to make good on his promises because his promises are for our good. His promises are to bless us. His promises are to meet our needs. Look, have you guys ever faced anything in your life where you would go, I don't even know how to start? I don't even, I, I'm so, this is so hopeless to me or so much bigger than me. I don't even know how to start. Can, can anybody agree you faced some things in your life that, that you would qualify for that? Yeah. Okay, you may even be in one of them right now. I mean, there's, there, there are things in our life that can just seem huge. Okay, for any of you that have faced that, how did you handle it? If you want to share, I mean, you don't have to give me details, but how, what did you do to start? How did, how did you, did you take action? Did you, how, how did you handle it? Ask, okay, ask the Holy Spirit for what to do. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not trying to set anybody out or, you know, make this a difficult thing. Here's my point. Is I think an awful lot of us think when problems come along, no matter how big they are, it's up to us. It's up to us. Because while for you I believe that God will intervene, I feel like I've got to do something. Okay? What we need to understand is we need to believe in God's power. We need to b- believe that God in his time will move. Okay? Um... Because at least in my life, when I've decided I'll handle it myself, it doesn't always work out real well. Usually we have to back up and start over when we, when we actually involve God. This is one of the hardest things we do. Because when we decide to put our confidence in God's power, the enemy then really pulls out all the stops. And he tries to either put a person or a thing or a circumstance in our path that looks so big, looks so powerful, looks so certain, that we don't even see how God could handle it. You may, there are people right now who need jobs. You could go, how can I get a job? It's not easy. I'm not saying that's easy. But what I will say this is God's power is strong enough to get you a job. Got to wait on God. God's called us to work. We know he wants us to have jobs. So we don't have to to wonder, is it okay to ask God to give me a job? Now, God may not give you a job in the timetable you had in mind. But will he provide that? Absolutely. Is he powerful enough? Yes. There's some of us who have health issues. I would like for God to heal every ache and pain I've got right now. I don't like aches and pains. Okay? But you know what? Is God a a God who heals? Yes, he is. Have you ever experienced God's healing power in your life? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. So we all know in our hearts, does God heal? Yes, we will all say he'll heal. What gets hard is when I'm in pain right now. And I would like for God to heal it right now. But what I'm forced to do is say, God, you know my pain. You know what I'm going through. You know you know the diagnosis that I got. You know the issue that I'm facing. God, right now, I just got to leave it with you because, God, I know I'm going to believe in your promises. I'm not going to let the enemy throw me off course because he's trying to get me with fear. He's trying to get me with deception. He's trying to get me all these ways because he wants me to not to take my eyes off you, not have the faith that I want to have in you. And he wants me to trust other things that are not you. And I'm going to believe in your power that no matter how things look to me right now, how, no matter how dead it looks, Abraham and Sarah, there is no way Abraham and Sarah should have had a child, should they? I mean, by any human rationale, no way. But when God says you're going to have a child, even if you're 95 years old, you're going to have a child. Now, if God can give a 90-something-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man a child, what problem do you have that's beyond God's power? What is it that's too big for God to resolve? You know, this also happens on really small stuff. Okay, I mean, we, I, I can tell you about a young couple right now that have been trying to sell their house. They... They they prayed God. They believed God was showing them it was time for them to move to a different place uh, that was more appropriate for uh, their their family at this point in life. So they, with with complete confidence that they were being obedient to God, they put their house on the market and listed it. As of a few days ago, uh, they've had uh, six purchase agreements uh, for their house that have all, uh, at some point, uh, you know, after everybody signed and the thing started, fell apart. Now six. Not three. Some of us may have sold a house and had a deal or two fall apart. Six. What do you think that can do to your faith, possibly? You think it might test it? You think it might cause you to have to come to a point where you say something like, do we actually believe this stuff or not? Fair, Fair question to ask. Do you think you ever come to a point in your life where your faith is being tested? And if God's Word is really true, and you say, I'm really going to live that way, I mean, don't you really have to ask yourself every now and then, do I really believe this or not? Because if I don't believe it, then I'll go do something else. But if I really believe God's Word is true, then I've got to stand firm. Because I've got to believe God gave me direction before I prayed, I believe God said, go ahead. And now I've got to stand firm and wait on God, even though the craziest things are happening all around me. Well, I'd like to report to you that, as of a day or two ago, they have offer number seven. (laughs) Okay? And this one apparently looks really good. So it would appear maybe this is the one that's going to be good. Okay? But my point, and here's why I'm bringing this up, is... It's easy for us to understand this example when I'm talking about a job or your health or, or a family that's ripped apart. Do, do you understand? Th- those are big, big things in life that really grab us, okay? But the enemy tries to get us to doubt God's power in everything, even in the details like selling a house. I mean, which is important, but it's, if it didn't sell, you can just keep living there. You know what I mean? It's not like somebody dies. Okay, so all I'm, all I'm wanting us to understand is the enemy does not want you to believe in God's power. He wants you to believe that he is more powerful and that he can disrupt the plans of God and he can thwart them and you will pay the price. And so what we've got to do is believe if we've heard from God, have confidence in what he says, not allow the enemy to deceive us and keep believing in God's power that in his time and on his calendar, on his His promise: God's never late. God's never late. He's never late. He parted the Red Sea right at the right moment. Look, if we'd all been with Moses and the guys at the Red Sea, I think we'd have liked that thing to part like the day before. Because then we'd have seen it, we'd known it, we could have gotten everybody organized, we could have lined everybody up, we could have been ready to go. But God doesn't work that way. I think with Jordan River, when the Israelites crossed over into the promised land, you know, it didn't, it didn't back up till the first guys put their foot in the river. I mean, think about it. We would have all been saying, when the river backs up, then I'll step in. That's not how God works. I know we wish he did. It's not how he works. That's not living by faith. If God's got to move before you'll move, that's not living by faith. That's living by fact. And there's nowhere in, this, in God's word that he promises us that we get to live by fact. He says you've got to live by faith you got to believe I am who I said I am. you got to believe I'll do what I say I'll do. You've got to believe I'm powerful enough no matter how crazy what we're going through looks to you and everyone around you. God is in control. God's not confused. He's not worried. God is not going He's scratching his head, going, I wonder what to do next. I want to assure you, no matter how you and I think about it right now, the plans of God will come forth. They will come forth in Jesus' name. Okay, we've got to stand firm. Romans 4, verses 20 and 22. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And that's why it was credited to him as righteousness. So, to live by faith, we need to have confidence in God's power to do what he's promised to do, no matter what circumstances look like. Would you stand with me as we get ready to close? we we really have a simple decision for all of us today. It's um, Hebrews 11.6 sums it up really easily. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Abraham was called God's friend because he received it by faith. He accepted God's promise by faith, and he was called God's friend. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Today it's a call for us. Are we willing to live by that faith? Are we willing to live by the same faith that Abraham lived in? It's tough. It's not easy every day. It's tough. But that's what we're called to live. The world just tells us right now to hope for the best. Right? We hear that all the time. Well, we just hope for the best. What we've seen today that by living by faith, that's the best hope is to live by faith. So, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, look at today. If you've got a promise from God you've been waiting for a long time to see it happen, and it's getting hard to keep on, today's the day. Let's just renew our commitment to God. It's your chance to renew your commitment to God that no matter how long it takes or what circumstances currently look like, that first, you're going to believe in God's promises, and second, you're going to have confidence in His power. If that's you, you want to agree with that today for that to be true in your life. Just raise your hand if you're on... Watching live, you can just raise your hand right where you are as well. Because it doesn't matter whether we see it, it's that God sees it. It's just a statement before God. So, Lord, today you've seen our hands. God, we want to be people who walk by faith, who live by faith. God, who have a faith that is powerful, a faith that is world-changing, God, because no matter how things look to those around us, God, we are going to stand firm and steadfast and believe you. We're going to believe you. So, Lord, now I pray that you will bless us and strengthen us as we walk out the same faith of Abraham, Lord, each day in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.